0: Hey, hey, welcome to Horns Up, and with this episode, we're beginning a month of doom on the podcast. We didn't plan this, but coincidentally, I'm borrowing your words, our lives are just doomed.
1: Yeah, man, I mean, it's uh, just crazy how it all worked out. And I guess uh, it coincides also with just like the monsoons in India, right? And I kind of hate it and i've made my <laughs> displeasure well known about the monsoons and a fucking yeah man. List. <laughs> so sitting in uh and now that it's kind of worse in a way where you are cooped up but uh yeah you you want to like tune in and i don't know whatever man whatever you <laughs> is your the way of zoning <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly exactly, exactly.
0: Of course. And that too in the year 2020, which just happens to be the worst fucking year ever. Anyways, True. Uh, <laughs> coming back to regular programming then, we are starting off with Temple of Void, a band whose album The World That Was was one of my top five picks for the first half of 2020. And I raved a lot about it, and which is why we decided to get them. This one's also special because for the first time, I think, we have almost the whole band. We actually have three members of the band with us at the same time. So let's just dive in straight to the chat. Here's Temple of Void. And now Horns Up is talking to three members of Temple of Void. Hi, guys. Can... Hey. Uh, Hello. Can we do a quick round of introductions? Because at the end of the day, this is audio only. So I'd like everyone here to introduce themselves so that our listeners can match their voices. And while introducing yourselves, tell us what role you play in the band. And pick one adjective that defines Temple of Void. No repeats. (laughs) Oh, boy. You you guys want to do this in alphabetical order? (laughs) Okay, I'll go sure. first.
2: I'm, I'm Mike. I do. Uh, I'm the vocalist. Uh, you want an adjective for Temple of Void? Um, yep. I would say on task. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> especially in uh, just with everything going on with all that, I I got to give it up. Props to Alex for always keeping busy and always getting stuff and Brent doing all the mail order and everybody just doing what they can to keep the ball rolling since we can't really play live.
3: I'm Don, I play guitar, and uh, one adjective, uh, I'll, I'll take the easy way out and say heavy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice.
1: Um,
4: all right, this is Alex, I play guitar in Temple of Void, and the adjective, I would, the first word that came to my mind was crushing. Ooh, so,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah. Crushing, well, heavy, and on task.
4: <laughs>
2: there you go we can Not, put that on the shirt go. right yeah so there that's you go I was a back I was a back yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> you
0: can send us a check later Crossing <laughs> on page on page. all right all right it's fabulous to talk with uh, the three of you um, so let's start off by talking a little bit about the band itself uh, you guys define yourselves as a death doom band so allow me to pull your leg a little bit here what's the ideal ratio of death to doom for temple Void? like is it 50 50 is it 70 30 20 80 is it more deathy doom or is it more doomy death
4: (laughs) depends on the album i guess yeah i think that's um i think that's what's so cool about it from our perspective is that we can't really answer that we have to be wishy-washy with that response because it depends on what we're feeling at any given moment and as long as it's got some component of death and some component of doom then it's that's the right ratio whatever that may be whether it's 20 80 80 20 50 50 as long as there's both of that and maybe it's 40 20 and then there's some other shit in there that you're not considering from the death and the doom because very little of what we do is just death Just Doom, there's typically some other components thrown in the mix. So, Hmm. okay. So, we kind of wriggled our way out of that answer.
2: (laughs) Smartly,
0: smartly played, smart, smart, smartly played.
2: Yeah, I was going to so, say with the album stuff, it really depends on, like... Because the first one definitely, like, overall went more towards Doom. The second one, Lords of Death, was clearly yeah. more in, like, the death metal realm. And then the last one that we had is, is kind of more like that 50-50, like you said. It's sort of in between there.
1: So so who in the band brings, you know, the death part and who brings the Doom?
2: <laughs> We're also polite that none of us
3: want to, like, be the first person to speak. <laughs> Well I, I think that's probably like a probably like a fifty fifty or some kind of a ratio between you know between like riffs and stuff like that, you know? And it's uh I don't know, it's just kind of at least for me, like when I'm like coming up with riffs or ideas and whatnot, it's just whatever, you know whatever falls out of me that I think sounds cool or not and I present to the band and usually I've kind of found with uh you know, with, with when an idea starts and then when it gets filtered in, you know, into the band, you know, all together, like it comes out sounding differently than, you know, when it was first conceived a lot of the time too. We all bring,
4: well, Mike brings like a hundred percent death with his vocals, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So about the Queens.
4: Yeah. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe nothing's as black and white as saying a hundred percent, but he contributes so much to the death aspect Mm. and, For me, like, when I write guitar, I like to, like, I was listening to Deicide today, like, Once Upon the Cross, and just, like, when I was working out, and I'm just thinking, man, this is such an awesome blueprint for, like, if I just had to, like, one kind of death metal record on a desert island, like, you can make a strong argument for Once Upon the Cross, as far as, like, the kind of riffs that I like to play, so that influences me when I'm writing the death stuff, and then I don't feel like I write a ton of doom anymore as much as i write some of the more weirder stuff quote unquote um but then we have had a couple stuff recently that's kind of that hum influence like that i know don you're not really digging inlet but like i feel like i mean that's that's doomy but i feel like that's where my like the doom is like a little bit different now than maybe where it was at least from my perspective when i bring it hmm okay it's like alternative doom (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's
2: almost like they're everybody kind of provides a little bit of a safeguard to to kind of keep it still rooted in like the death doom sort of realm because like alex said like he'll kind of take things and it'll incorporate influences or like don even you know it's like take influences that may not traditionally be in that death doom that like you know whatever it was like 40-20 plus like odd percentages of other things that we were saying before so it's like uh, even with the world that was like it's mostly death vocals aside from like the one main track on it or leave the light behind and a lot of that is because there's a lot of other things going on where like riff wise with Don and Al you know writing so it's like that kind of roots it back into the death metal like Jason's not really like a typical death metal drummer so like some Sometimes you need that to kind of root it back in there because there will be like a beat that isn't always typical, you know, I mean, for like somebody like, let's say that, you know, relies heavily on stuff like double kicks and, you know, a lot of like traditional, you know, you know. Cannibal Cork style drum beats and things like that, that you know that we typically associate with like death metal You know, we don't really typically use things like blasting and things like that So like mm-hmm. vocals and riffs kind of provide that balance and you know, it, it works as like checks and balances So, you know, we're not going too far off in the left field, I think
0: Okay, okay. So, um, allow me to ask you guys this uh, Did you guys always want to be a death doom band? I mean, what were the early jams like? How did you guys arrive at this kind of a sound?
4: To me, I was just actually talking about this in an interview, in a a written interview the other day. I used to work out with Eric, the original guitarist. And when we were kind of talking about what we wanted to do, we both leaned towards Doom as like the the primary genre. That we wanted okay. to bring into the mix. And I've always wanted to have like a Paradise Lost icon era band. And so he dug Paradise Lost, I dug Paradise Lost. And we're just looking at Detroit, and we're just thinking... Like, there isn't a Death Doom representation in Detroit. We felt that we could bring something to the table that didn't exist. So when we started... It You know, we were bringing in, like, you know, Jason, Brent, Mike, Eric, myself. You're feeling each other out. Like, Brent and I have played together in bands for, like, 20 years. But the rest of the guys never played in a band with, you know. So it was, fe- you know, feeling things out. The first track we ever wrote, Ward of Chrom, um, we realized that that wasn't the direction we wanted to go in. But the second track was Exanimate Gaze. And I feel like Exanimate Gaze, for us, kind of crystallized what I perceive to be like the genesis of Temple of Void as we know it today, as far as like the death metal riffing in that track, the spaciness, and at the end, the doominess of the chorus, it kind of had all of that stuff that, for me, is like a quintessential Temple of Void track. Mm-hmm. So I think once we did that, it was like, okay, that's that's our laser focus, and we can kind of Shift and shimmy as we want over the years, but that was definitely, for me, the blueprint track for moving forward. Mike, I mean, you were there at the very beginning. What do you think?
2: Um. Well, I yeah. I mean, when I came in, because I know out of that original lineup, I was like the last guy that kind of came in, and you guys kind of contacted me, like, because I I kind of knew Eric through like some other stuff, and kind of hit me up because I was doing the acid witch thing and whatnot, and then I came in. And it was like you guys had it was like the three songs and there was like uh, Ward of Prom. and actually they didn't even have titles at the time, but it was like, yeah, they had like working titles, but it was like Ward of Prom, exanimate gaze and beyond the ultimate and beyond the ultimate and exanimate gaze were more unified and, and everything. And that's why it makes sense that Ward of Prom was the first one. I think you, I don't know. There really isn't much more that I could add to it. I think that you pretty much nailed how it was. It kind of started off. You guys were kind of feeling each other out And then I kind of came into the mix, and it all sort of just kind of coalesced together as more like a death doom thing, more than just like a emphasis on like a heavy doom with um, some like deathier influences. Because I know you guys had tried a couple other people out prior to me, and you were, you know, I mean, you were looking for something more death metal vocals, more, you know, yeah, I was, yeah, Yeah. like (laughs) more of like
4: a Candlemass kind of traditional. Like, he was thinking Trouble, candle mass, that kind of thing. And I, was thinking, oh, okay. I okay. was thinking death metal. And then when he called Mike up and Mike provided those vocals, it was like,
2: fuck. <laughs> yeah, dude. Now it's coming yeah, together. I didn't even... Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I just kind of was like, oh, whatever. Just, <laughs> I've never done vocals. Sure, I'll try it, you <laughs> know.
0: Okay. Uh, Don, uh, what about you? I mean, uh, you're, you're coming in at the time when... Uh, or you came in at a time when uh, temple of void was already up and running what were your yeah. first impressions of the band as such when uh, you heard them and did you at that time know that you would want to be a part of this
3: wow uh uh yes uh, I'll, and i'll i'll go back you know and further with that i've known i've known alex and brent for about twenty years as well. Uh I played with a band with Brent in a band years and years ago. Um, and uh I think Mike and I have probably like I we talked about this before, I think we've probably like crossed paths plenty of times over the years and you know Oh yeah, I
2: I've seen his old band play a bunch of times being in shows before I was even really playing in bands and stuff. So
3: Yeah, yeah. And the uh like the 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 band that I was in uh prior to uh was called Riving, and uh we actually played the first temple of void show that ever that ever took place um so i kind of feel like everything's kind of come you know full circle a little bit and uh you know definitely like like uh when i was seeing temple of void play live it was you know one of my thoughts was like like i wish i wrote some of these riffs you know and, uh, you know, now I get to play them, so it kind of works out. It works out pretty well for me. Um, but it's, uh, I think, like, the five of us, like, I think, like, we all work really, really well together. Like, I feel like we do. I mean, I feel like, you know, before them, prior to me coming in, worked really, really well together. And I just try to add what I can to the mix, you know, while keeping, you know, while still trying to keep everything rooted with, you know, what the original intentions were with the band. Um, you know, it's been, you know, the experience has been really, really good.
1: Now that you've told us uh, all about this, what's your songwriting process like now? I mean, what comes first, the riff or music, uh, the song theme, idea or the lyrics?
4: Don, we need to schedule some more time to hang out <laughs> and write more riffs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: like, yeah usually...
4: like right now, we, we've had like a COVID process where... Uh-huh. Don and I are just writing independently and then throwing a whole bunch of riffs into a Dropbox folder. And then every couple of weeks, Don comes to my house, we start jamming on them together, we write stuff, and then we bring it to the band. And at no point do we ever bring a whole song. Like, that's never happened in seven years, I don't think. We bring the genesis, we bring some sort of seed that we plant, and then it goes through umpteen iterations and changes and transmogrifications as everyone in the band has a different idea and input. And we write fast riffs that get played slow. You know, like, we don't know what's going to happen once we bring it to the, to the band. And that's where, like, the magic happens. It's like, Brent doesn't have to write a riff. He contributes, you know, with his, his verbal ideas, then we can kind of manifest that as we're jamming together and, you know, and then Jason just has such a different idea from drumming that it takes, it takes a village in this case. I, I,
0: I really like that because, you know, uh, at the end of the day, for most uh, the idealistic version of every band is supposed to be that it's a collaborative effort by everyone and not just one person's music that is being played by other people because that one person cannot play each and every instrument. Well, un- unless you're like Putrid Pile or someone. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So um, let's talk about The World That Was. And yes, this was an album that our listeners would have heard of before because I included it as, as part of my top five albums to be released in 2020 till the end of June 2020. Uh, yeah, you've received similar accolades and lots of positive vibes from listeners across the world, right? Uh, why do you guys think this album has resonated with your listeners i
3: i think it's a i think it 's a very honest record that we made you know i i don 't uh i i don't and it 's not a it 's not a contrived like piece of music that we set out to make we just it you know we came in with riffs and we all worked together and and made something you know natural and organically you know and and you know the process was was as such too um You know, I think maybe, you know, maybe part of it has to do with, you know, with with the current state of things and, you know, the time that the album was released. And, you know, maybe that was, you know, something that, you know, people needed or they were looking for. And, you know, we were able to give that to them. And, you know, I think we're all pretty, I think maybe I can speak for everyone. I say we're all pretty, you know, overwhelmed with the amount of positive response that has come, you know, from the release of the album.
2: Like, yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm with I'm in agreement with you, Don. I mean, it, the title and all that sort of stuff is coincidentally perfect, just with everything that happened. Because I mean, who? Yeah. Answer, but, <laughs> but I I mostly agree with the fact that it's it's an honest album. I, I think that that kind of it's worn on its sleeve i think that does shine through i know at least for me lyrically it was a bit different for me and i will say that i came pretty honestly with with the lyrics as far as that goes and i know the riffs and everything everything's just really sincere about it overall i think from our own personal standpoint like it's definitely a record that we're all pretty proud of
4: and i think if we're getting back to adjectives if i may i think it's immersive in a way that resonates with people from like the artwork perspective like the artwork through this atmosphere through the songs through the lyrics like i think it's a very cohesive and well thought out record from an immersion perspective it feels a bit three-dimensional and people pick up on that so i think that's our intent but it's great when you hear people picking up on that and you know and then spitting that back at you so
3: i think i think too like maybe another another smaller component of it is you know you know the album's got six songs and most of them were pretty pretty lengthy but you know from the times that i've listened to the record myself you know it's it you know 36 38 minutes you know whatever it is it comes and goes pretty quick i mean there's no there's really no point where i feel like it's there's like a any kind of like a lag in the record like it's you know you you hit play on track one and you know it's kind of like before you know it like title track is you know over and done and it's you know i mean that's you know that's damn near a 10 minute song but it it doesn't i don't feel like the songs feel as long as they are in you know in relation to what the you know what the time you know what the timing says you know next to the next to the title
2: i'm with you don i i agree um I think, like, The World That Was, it's a 10-minute song because it needed to be a 10-minute song, not because it was forced to be a 10-minute song, and I think that's yeah. why it carries you through, and when it's done, you're like, oh, it doesn't really feel like 10 minutes, kind of with the album. The album does feel like a quick listen because it is It is a very cohesive journey from, like, start. you've got like the horror-based song that's very, like, reminiscent of the previous two albums, and then it kind of just gradually changes pace into just kind of a Kind of a whole different animal and you know you're kind of exposed to a little bit of new influence and a little bit of curveballs here and there and then by the time it's done you know you got the sample it just kind of sucks you into nothingness and then you got to start all over again
3: yeah i mean it is definitely it's a bit of a journey and a bit of an adventure you know like you said mike with the way like you know some of the songs kind of you know move around and ebb and flow and stuff like that
0: Okay. In a previous interview, you guys have said that you gained a lot of new fans thanks to the world that was. Where are these new fans coming from? Are you guys doing any sort of like, you know, data mining or uh, insight mining or something of that sort to find out where people are coming from? Where are you getting the new listens from? What kind of fans are coming to you guys?
2: Yeah I, yeah, I can do just, that. Having a having a broader push, like getting a lot more, like I mean, Decibel put a flexi of ours out. I mean, there, there's just it's a lot of new things that we didn't get on the previous releases. I feel like we got a little bit more PR on the album. I think that kind of ties into it. And then from there, I mean, you just see it gradually. I mean, we can see an influx and things like uh, just with people ordering stuff directly from us through like Bandcamp. You know, I mean, feedback from you know Shadow Kingdom things like that. Um, so I've got
4: the uh, the Apple app that I can look at data to see where uh-huh. people are listening to the album from and like we follow like we have the apps for um, Bandcamp and for Apple and stuff yeah, like that. So yeah. can see how our record is doing uh, relative compared to prior records, for instance, and you know, who's streaming it and like where they're streaming it from. And like, you look at, like, the top countries, and it's, like, the United States, Canada, UK, Germany, you know, like, expected yeah. stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, the expected it's stuff.
4: cool to scroll down to the bottom and go, holy shit, Malawi, Kenya, Azerbaijan, Angola, Nepal, Algeria, Croatia, like, Ghana, and it's like, god damn, someone in Ghana's listening to Temple of Void? Like, that's so freaking cool, you know? And... So, to answer your question, like, it's coming from, like, we can quantify it that it's coming from Apple, we know it's coming from Spotify, we know it's coming from um, from Bandcamp. Um, just the way that these streaming ser- services, like, democratize our music, it allows people on all corners of the globe to check us out, which is, like,
1: really cool. Again, this is based on our listening, is that this album seems a lot more doomy than deathy. And it's a lot more melodic and melancholic. Do you guys think so? And was there any intention before you started work on this album that this is the sound that you wanted to achieve?
2: I'd agree with the statement. I definitely think that it's a lot more melodic. Um I think uh we I we even said before in a thing, uh An interview somewhere where there was, I think, more of an emphasis on like memorable songwriting. I think that was kind of a main thing going into this. But
3: I mean, you're going to want to probably ask the riff writers for the most part, you know. I don't know if we necessarily. I don't, at least not in my head. I I didn't. I didn't set out to say, okay, we got to, you know, you know, the album's got to sound like this, or you know, it's got to, you know, we, you know, kind of like what I said earlier. Like everything was pretty you know natural and and organic like the way you know the way the songs kind of came together you know some you know a couple of them came together a little quicker than others you know but you know something like like the title track like you know alex and i started on that when we were we were rehearsing it in my house for you know for a time and you know we were we just both plugged in our amps and and turned everything on and we we were both just kind of you know just you know getting sounds, you know, before we were going to start playing some songs, and we both were, like, down towards, like, the bottom of the neck on our guitars, and we both hit, like, separate notes that just kind of worked together. And that was kind of how that thing started. Um, and then, you know, that song itself just kind of, I think, took on a life of its own. And it wasn't, you know, like, kind of like Mike said, like, it needed to be 10 minutes, but I don't think it was, it wasn't set out when we, you know, when we hit those first two notes. Like, yeah, we're going to write a huge, long song, but that that was, you know... That was kind of the way that it uh it was kind of the way that it went um i feel like yeah there's definitely and i agree with the statement too that there's you know it's it is a little more melodic and you know melon there's definitely some melancholy in there too for sure like i think there's you know there's some passages here and there where there's kind of like a to me like a kind of like a, a general like uneasiness in some spots where like there's a little bit of like discomfort like And the sounds and the tones and stuff that's going on. And it's more, you know, and I guess that more kind of revolves around atmosphere altogether. Yeah, and I think
4: uh, because the world that was was the first song that we wrote, it kind of exemplifies the fact that there was no premeditation. Because you would think if that was the first song, then, okay, we're going to write an album that has like four 10 minute long songs. But like, that's not the case at all. It just happened to be that that was the first one. That's what came out first. And as we start working on additional songs, it kind of comes full circle back to your question about the ratio of death to doom. So I don't think we ever set out to... I know we don't set out to say this album is going to be, like, you know, going to go in this direction, that direction. But as each song evolves, then we have to look back and go, how are these songs evolving? Are they all doomy? Well, okay, we've got to check ourselves and make sure... That we inject some death into the next stuff so it kind of builds upon itself as we write each song but there's no grand scheme and the thing that i always like to push is thinking of the album in totality like i don't care if we write like a four minute you know death metal banger with zero doom in it i don't care if we write an eight minute doom song i only care about like how it fits in with the full 40 minute record because that's just, like, it's going to ebb and flow, and sometimes a whole song is ebbing, sometimes a whole song is flowing, sometimes the song is just going up and down like the world that was in different things. So I look at it more as they're chapters in a book, and as long as all the chapters, are, you know, some are going to be more boring, <laughs> you know, like in a book. <laughs> and like, I'm not saying our songs are boring, but, like, they have different... You know, there's action sequences, you know, there's, you know, there's different sequences in a book, you know, and that's how our album should be. And you don't judge it by any one chapter, just like we don't judge it by any one song, I would say.
0: I love the fact that you guys are thinking of this as an, uh, thinking of the output as an entire album. And I must say one of the the biggest things that resonated me with, uh, that resonated for me with uh, the world that was, was... The pacing of this entire album, I mean, if I, I, this is a very weird reference, but I think it was like uh, Goldilocks and the three bowls of porridges. As such, it's not too fast, it's not too slow, but it's just right. <laughs> was that a conscious decision, as such, that we have to keep the pace uh, not mind-blowingly explosive and not mind-numbingly, funerally, of sorts.
4: I don't think any of us like listening to a whole lot of stuff that's like ultra slow. I know like I can speak for Brent and myself that we like very little funeral doom. You know, it's like, like a couple bands, but I don't want to listen to a whole, I, I don't want to do a whole record that sounds like that. You know yeah I,
2: I' yeah I like funeral doom but I don't think that I could be like exclusive I, I mean just from being like a vocalist standpoint like there's already a lot of points where there's large instrumental breaks, you know what I mean like with funeral doom it would just you know as far as for me and even my attention span, but I do like that stuff but yeah it's not something I think that we want to incorporate to that extremity by being a death doom band, you're not so polar in one side as you are the other. You know, you kind of keep it relatively in the
3: middle, but you ebb and flow sort of right where that baseline line is. Yeah, I think and there's, like, I think there's sometimes when, you know, like, I, I mean, I think, like, as you know, as far as, like, you know, in with Temple of Void, like, to me, like, Temple of Void is, like, a, a slow band. Like, that's, you know, like Mike said, it's not, like, you know, there's not, like, you know, a bunch of double bass and, you know, blast beats at, you know, 250 BPM or anything like that. Um, but, you know, but I think like, you know, overall, like tempo, you know, within the band is is pretty important, you know, so like it's just for the way that, you know, like certain parts like need to be like slowed down a little bit to so see you get like more like, a uh, you know, see so it more of, like a feel to it. Like that's kind of what I look for with the wrists is for all of them to have, you know, some kind of a feel where you can still even if they're faster, you can still like move to them and get into them and find like a, a pace or a groove that, you know, that sits in with them. And one of the <clears throat> important things, a lesson,
4: it kind of like a lesson that we learned was of Terran the Supernatural was, you know, on, on the Doomier side, and we enjoy listening to it, but we recognize playing live that when we had to cut songs, we would cut the Doomier songs first, and we would play the more mid-tempo or more death metal-oriented <clears throat> songs. Okay, Because live... That's what it's all about. I mean, we want that energy. We don't want to be playing, plotting stuff. We might want to listen to that. But when you translate that to the stage, we don't want to just be playing these big open chords and this, like, doing stuff. We want a headbang. We want to play shit that sounds like aspics. So that's where Lords of Death kind of swung it. We did have a conscious idea that we wanted to write stuff that we could play live and enjoy from an energy perspective. And then I think we managed to hit the sweet spot in the world that was where we learn that lesson about what works well live, but we're also able to incorporate doom in such a fashion that it translates. When I mean, we have to test this theory because we haven't played a show because of COVID, but <laughs> I think I think the theory is that we can play with the energy of death metal, but play with like the doominess, you know, that we we wanted to capture. And so hopefully okay. we can get that energetic doom for a lot. Maybe the, maybe that's a backprint too. Energetic,
2: energetic doom. <laughs>
3: energetic (laughs) alternative (laughs) doom
2: yeah going back to the the pacing thing that you were saying before too it like kind of what alex was like was saying just now it's like i think all the riffs as far as the pacing goes they were consciously crafted between these two guys to be like at the pace that everybody felt was most impactful you know so Mm -hmm. i think that's probably why the pacing rings so true with you you know And I think that's something that you guys did make a conscious effort to in your
3: writing. Yeah, I would say so.
1: All right. So now now we've talked quite a bit about uh, the world that was. And before we go on, I'm going to ask you the toughest question in most of our interviews is we want to play a track from the album. Which one and why?
0: It's usually easier because we generally have only, like, one member in the band, but this time, it has to be between the three of you.
4: <laughs> hey, if we
0: end up playing three of the songs, we've, like, kind of played half of the album. We don't want to do that.
4: <laughs> I, I, I'm throughout the world that was... I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Don, Mike? Yeah, I
3: mean... I mean, I, we could really pick, like, I think we could probably all agree on 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 any one of them, you know, to to some degree, you know. But um, like, yeah, like Alex would say, the world that was, like, I I would probably say self schism if I had to pick, if I was gonna pick one, like, you know, if I had to pick like one, like, right off, like right away. Like, I think that's the one that I would go with. This is just purely off of the world that
2: was, or uh, just. Or do
1: you want to pick up from the split also that you guys put out? Which one do you want to pick from? Or it. from the earlier album. The
2: split, the, the <laughs> four doors, or the the heart. I actually, I really like Harvest of Flesh. I think that's uh, that was a pretty good one. I was glad that we were able to do that with uh, Revel and Flesh. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can pick that one. Um, <laughs> I like that. I think that it's. Uh, I was going to say that'll be my pick. I guess. Um, I like that. See, so you now it's only two from the and album,
3: and then one spare song, so it's not the happy <laughs> album. So you guys are good, right? <laughs> yeah,
4: no. yeah. I would. I would back. Uh, I think Don, you would back Harvest and Flesh too. So.
3: Oh yeah! Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, Harvest
4: the Flesh. Awesome. So did, I think
2: that was. I think that was definitely so, yeah. the more like just straightforward death metal kind of like gore lyrics uh, that we ever did. I I think that was cool. It was, uh, you know. I don't know, I really like the riffing on it. I like the, uh, I from a lyrical point, I'm, on my own contribution, I thought the lyrics were pretty pretty tongue-in-cheek, kind of akin to my sense of humor anyway. Uh, I think that uh, just the production on that, it was done in the same sessions that we did the Four Doors to Death. Something about that production, I think, recording session that we did, I think came out as very heavy. So. Plus it was I like cool. the outro to it.
4: Like yeah. The, the drum outro. I like the fact that you say lampshade,
2: you know, <laughs> so. A fine belt or lampshade.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here it is.
1: about uh, your albums, I noticed, right? Is that there's always an acoustic-based song. So is it now like a signature of sort? You know, something that everyone expects on the album? Um,
2: uh, huh? I mean, it, at this point, because Don and Alex are basically the guitar players. I mean, like, they do most of the songcraft, most of the riff craft, things like that. Like, I've offered some ideas here and there, but I kind of... I mostly like them having their own riff dynamic anyway and this is kind of like the acoustic stuff is kind of like my way to i guess maybe add something you know musically to it um so usually and and it's something that i can kind of compose in my house by myself you know in sort of solitude which is kind of like the right mindset for that sort of thing anyway um and i don't know i i don't mind doing it because yeah like i said it's It's kind of my my musical contribution to it without, you know, stepping on too much of the toes as far as the riff writing dynamic. And I don't know, it's something I actually actually really enjoy playing acoustic guitar. I I like it it equally as much as I do playing electric. So it's cool for me because any of the other bands I play, and I'm playing electric guitar anyway. So it's kind of, it's different and it's a way for me to kind of branch out some other influences and things like that so i like doing it and as long as those guys are encouraging of it i i'll continue to do it
3: yeah i mean i I think it's i think it's great having like you know because mike is you know mike plays guitar too you know but like he just does vocals the temple of void you know so i think it's good that he has you know there's like a that there is like a third you know guitar voice you know somewhere on the record and uh and like the stuff that Mike writes for those pieces are all really, really good. Like I would love, I, I would, I would listen to a whole album of those if, if like, <laughs> ever, uh, if you ever did one of those, man, I would totally listen to one of
4: those. Yeah, another offer on the table.
3: <laughs> yeah, people dig them,
4: you know. And I, it's always, I think, a treat for the rest of Temple of Void because you know we hear like he'll play a little snippet on his phone or something like that, you know, and like we don't really know what it, what it's gonna how it's going to take shape until we're in the studio. And then it's always, we're always blown away with it. And it's really, um, yeah, it's really cool. So I think just as much as we'll always have death and we'll always have doom, we'll always have a micro Doty, you know, instrumental.
3: (laughs) And I I think too, with, especially with, with that one on the world that was, I think the, you know, again, with, with the placement of the songs and how the album runs, I think that, that track is like a really, like a really good kind of dividing line for, Mm -hmm. for like, Kind of like the way the record kind of shifts it's kind of like a good like there's like a like a line there where it like you know you got casket of shame and yeah followed on after that and leave light behind before that um but it, it that that acoustic interlude i think kind of sets the tone for like that the, the back end of the album a little bit mm. yeah yeah I, I could agree with
0: that yeah I, I i agree too i mean it acts as a perfect kind of an interlude between two different parts okay so uh Here's a, here's a question uh, for the lyricist in the band, I'm, and I'm assuming it's Mike, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay, so <laughs> uh, what's, what's really happening here? I mean, it all seems to be extremely reflective, personal stuff, say for the first song, uh, a, be- a Beast Among Us, which is just outright, just uh, straight up traditional death metal kind of territory, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things with the way the album was uh, arranged. Like, A Beast Among Us is kind of, you've got the... I mean, it's essentially kind of a werewolf thing, but it's kind of nondescript. And it kind of works as sort of a sequel to the final track, which was off of Lords of Death, which is Deceiver in the Shadows, which is also sort of this nondescript bestial character. Could it be a vampire? Could it be whatever? And... Uh, it kind of works into that and you've got sort of the beast being killed and that kind of kills almost figuratively, like metaphorically that sort of aspect to the album. And then with self-schism and everything like that, lyrically, it kind of becomes a little more self-reflective, a little more stuff, you know, just uh, personal stuff, a combination of like just kind of approaching approaching death in weird ways, or not in, like, weird ways, but just trying to be somewhat novel with it. Um, You know, kind of approaching it more from, like, traditional dualities and things like that, and, like, approaching death is sort of like... I've said it before in other things, where it's, like, it's an equalizer, it's an opening of doors and a closing of chapters, it's a, uh, you know, it's... You know, it's ending, it's also rebirth, it's, you know, it's the, you know... The yin to the yang of life, you know, kind of. I, I mean, it's all interplaying thing, you know. We've got leave the light behind, which is taking death and sort of putting it into the context of like serving death as sort of your livelihood. Um, yeah. So, as far as the lyrics, I everything up until this point was. Very rooted in like horror. It was rooted in you know just like arcane, you know, very you know sort of like tell you know storytelling kind of kind of stuff. Like this was a chance for me to kind of branch out as a lyricist because I've never I mean I've I've written lyrics and stuff for bands before, but it's never really been anything like to the extent or like success level or you know it not like popularity level of doing Temple of Void. So it's still relatively like not something that I it's something, it's a learning process. So it's like, this was kind of an attempt for me to sort of branch out lyrically as well. So that that's why they are a little bit different. And that's why things are kind of placed how they are on the album. And then, you know, when the World That Was track kind of hits, like things are very like existential and whatnot, so... I don't know, no, hopefully that answered the question.
0: <laughs> yep, it does, it does. Okay, okay, so uh, this is my final question about the World That Was. Um... It's the band's third album, right? Which and which, generally according to me, is the album that you know cements a band's sound and gives an idea about what kind of legacy the band is going to leave behind. With, if you like, historically look at the third album as such, uh, what do you make of this observation with context to
4: the world that was? I mean, I'd be happy with that if this was the record people. I mean. Of the like, we like everything that we do. Um But if I had to introduce someone to Temple of Void, it would be the world that was. If mm. it, it's, the, I think it's the record that we're most proud of. I mean, you're proud of the first one because it's your first. one. Everyone, like, you know, is is your baby in a, in its own way. But I think this. Would is you the view most,
0: this as your master of puppets?
4: Yeah. Right. Because like. I really like Kill 'em All Ride the Lightning, but it, you know, it's, it's it's tricky. But I, you know what I think? You know what I think about the world that was that makes it superior on a certain level is I feel like it's the most truest representation of what we maybe set out to do from the get go. Uh, from as from an atmosphere perspective, I felt like it all came together in a way that there's no going back. Like, the way that we approach the atmosphere in this record is only going to, like, move forward. And it's improved in ways that the other records have lacked. You know, and this is being hypercritical, like, from, from an artist's perspective, you know. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a distillation, it's an improvement, um, and it's the one we're most proud of, you know, today but ask us after album 4 we'll tell you that will be the one that we're most proud of <laughs> <laughs> it'll be better than album 3 <laughs>
2: <Yeah>, it would <was laughs> be as <laughs> you know striving to improve with each record release and stuff like that but um yeah i think as far as the world that was it kind of goes back to what you were saying it's the pacing it's the fact that it is kind of 50-50 in there it's not too much of like one polar side um uh another huge thing that i um Another huge thing that didn't really get pointed out, or I, I want to point out, is there's actual choruses on it, which is not something that we did on previous albums, because Self-Schism, mm-hmm. yeah. Leave the Light Behind, uh, Casket of Shame, like, they all have, like, actually, like, solid, defined choruses. So I think that adds, you know, it's it's the album you you show your mom, you know? <laughs> 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 but, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, so you, you've got that, you know what I mean, where it's, you know, it's got that sort of like hook sense to it. So, you know, if you're going to try and get somebody into it and you know, you want something that's going to kind of define it and it's going to leave a memorable impact with them, you know, there you go.
0: That's a beautiful filter by the way. The album that you show your mom, I'm going to be <laughs> using that.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. All right, so, so, so here's our final question. And uh, I guess we're wrapping things up uh, the same way we started. What does metal mean to you? And yes, it's for all of you.
2: <laughs> what does metal mean to me? Man. <laughs> now that's <laughs> here for another hour I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> we asked this to uh, we asked this to Steve Goodlow and he said, uh, in his words, metal is uh, metal. Uh, uh, he said, "What metal was the thing that my parents never allowed me to do? Yeah, I- <laughs> and this is why I did it." <laughs>
1: such a cool guy
3: (laughs) well i guess i don't know i guess for me it's it's something i like i like i've got i have an older brother who's you know he you know he was you know he was listening to slayer and metallica and stuff like that's how i got into that kind of music you know initially was you know that's why i started playing guitar like my brother played bass and i wanted to be like my brother but i wanted to like play all the cool like guitar solo stuff and you know uh so i guess you know i I don't know, for me, it's, I, I it's, uh. I don't know, I, 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 I can't really put, like, a word on it, I guess, but it's, it, for me, it's something that I've, I've, I've been into for quite a while, you know, I, I, it's, it's been constant there, I guess that's, that's how I can describe it for me. That's it's always, fantastic. it's always okay. kind of been there, you know, and it's, uh it, it doesn't really, uh you know, it doesn't, it doesn't let you down, you know. It never bends. True. <laughs> <laughs> heavy metal never bends. Um, well yeah want to I w I wanna I wanna I wanna change my answer and just say what Mike said. <laughs> I'm telling um, you, you guys
1: are coming up with great t-shirt ideas on this. <laughs>
3: heavy metal never bends.
1: Metal, it never bends. <laughs> no
2: can not I w I can't I can't claim that. Um, I don't know, man. Metal for me. Escape, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I guess I could just go for music in general, you know, no matter what kind of shit is going on with your life, no matter what's, you know, just anything. I mean, it just everybody goes through shit every day. Everybody's got, you know, you're into metal. I think Rollins said it I mean, I'm kind of more into punk and stuff, but it's like you like heavy music because you have heavy emotion. And I think that translates perfectly to heavy metal just as much as it does like, you know, hardcore punk or or anything else just or even just rock and roll, you know, you have heavy emotions and things like that. I've always found coping. I've always found, you know, a lot of things like that with just listening to music and heavy metal in general, especially metal just being like a, a limit pushing genre in general. Um you know, you, you could do so many things from funeral doom to stuff that, you know, on more like the grind and like noise core. And, and th- I mean, like, you, I, there's just a complete spectrum of things that you could do and you can immerse yourself in. And, you know, that's always worked for me. And it's always been, you know, I wouldn't have found these two dudes to jam with if it wasn't for heavy metal. You know, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's a way, it's a connection, you know, especially for people that are like introverted people in general. And yeah. that's, my, that's my take on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which leaves Alex.
4: Well, I, I'm going to riff on what he said and um, quote Morbid Angel, extreme music for extreme people. So, um, for me, metal is creation. If I had to say one word, and metal is expression. So, it's a creative expression you know um and metal is i'm just going to fill in the blanks with a whole bunch of different words it's creation it's expression and at its best it's transcendent there are times on stage when everything comes together everything is right and as a musician it feels like a transcendent moment and it doesn't happen every show all the time But when it does, I mean I'm getting like goosebumps just thinking about it. That there's nothing greater in life than when you get that kind of transcendent moment um, and you stop playing the instrument and it's just it's playing you. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's all the vibe and you don't that is just the greatest thing in the world. Um, and sometimes you can get that transcendence and that through the creation process. Like I love writing songs. I love being in the studio. It's just a different kind of, you know, transcendence. But um I think when everything connects and everything vibes and you write something together and like Don and I we just hit the, the the right notes at the right time and we're like, oh shit and then it just starts <laughs> to come forth. That giving birth to something new that didn't exist before, that that's Mel, you know?
0: That was beautiful. All right. Like, Temple of <laughs> 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 thank you guys so much for taking some uh, time out and doing this we know you've got uh, very busy days as such with your jobs etc and interviews can be a bit of a strain i hope you guys had fun with this one uh thank you guys once again for doing what you do and uh don thank you for your service on the front line um shout out to bren and jason as well mm. thanks thanks all yeah, of you man. for making some thanks, time out man. of thanks, this
4: yeah, these these, are, these are good questions. This was fun. Thank yeah. you for taking the time out of your day to to do this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we awesome.
3: do definitely we do. Thank you. Yeah, it was a good time, man. Thank you.
0: All right. So now that we have been doomed once, let's get ready to get doomed again. Next week, we're chatting with a brand new Indian doom or drone project. Peter, what can you tell us about that?
1: To start off with, uh, from what I've read... It was all conceptualized and recorded during this pandemic period. So, uh, very curious to see uh, that. But uh, also, uh, the project is by someone I know for a really long time. And uh, he's a part of uh, the Indian Heavy Metal Act, Kryptos, And also, the Stoner Doom Act, uh, Beversi. So, yeah, my good friend uh, Ganesh, a.k.a. Jack, um, glad to have him on the podcast and chat with him all things doom and drone.
0: Yup, mega drone. That's for next week. Till then, Tata, bye bye. Stay safe, everyone. Reach out to us. We are at hornsupport.com.
1: I'm at Trent Kershaw.
0: I'm at Asmo Annie. Uh, we are at Horn on Twitter. Till the next time, Horns Up.
1: Haunts up.